Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of Pocket Fiction. This is episode two. I'm Stevie Metcalf, and I'm so excited to be bringing you um, a, a, a new author to Pocket Fiction. Um, he's got a couple of stories up on the website, www.pocketfiction.co.uk, and his name is Drew Richmond. Um, a little bit about Drew. For more than 15 years, Drew has been part of an international writing group called Brains. Each month, the group is charged with writing something based on a one word topic. Uh, Drew lives in Richardson, Texas, a suburb of Dallas in the USA, with wifey Ava and their four-legged love child, a stand-up poodle named Jacob. I love that. Um, You can check out more of um, Drew's stories and books on www.richmondbooks.com and uh, see what he's got going on on his site over there. Um, This short story is a piece of uh, musical fiction, which is a real treat and uh, read to you by the author himself. So uh, without further ado, this piece is called All by Drew Richmond. There are moments in one's life that years later, when you look back in retrospect and say, that was the best or that was the worst, or that changed my life forever. This is a story about one of those incredible times. It was the 12th of February. I remember it because it was the day that every musician in the orchestra loathed, open audition day. The day when every wannabe musician who thought they could play at the symphonic level got their tryout to play with the symphony. We all hated it, but it was in our contract that we had to do this, so here we were. We started promptly at 8 a.m., and for the next seven hours, we heard flute players, violinists, cellists, brass of every sort, pianist, and every other sort of instrument included in a symphonic orchestra. Some were good. Some were a bit better. But we thanked them all and sent them on their way, happy in the fact that we had given them their shot. At 3 o'clock, the stage manager stepped out, we hoped for the last time, and called, Is there anyone else who would like to audition? Slowly from the side of the house, a figure rose from the darkness and walked toward the stage. He carried a beat-up violin case and over his shoulder, a knapsack. What can you say? He looked to be about 40, of medium build and height, and dressed like a refugee from Middle Europe. He had a two-day beard, and both his hat and his clothing had seen better days. He walked directly to the conductor's podium, removed his hat, and in a voice that could only be described as guttural, spoke to the conductor. Maestro, it would be all right with you. I would like permission to play with your orchestra. My name is Alexi. What instrument do you play? asked the maestro. A single word was all that he replied. All. For those of you who aren't familiar with the life of a professional musician, Let's just say that it takes half a lifetime to get to the position that my fellow players and I occupy, and the other half of a lifetime to refine what and how we play. Most musicians can master one instrument, possibly two, but all? Impossible! Yet here he stood, this master, master of every instrument. To say a snicker rolled through the orchestra would just be but the maestro was in a kindly disposition and simply asked, which instrument would you like to start with? I don't know, perhaps flute, replied Alexei. 
Okay, said the maestro. Do you know the Mozart Flute Concerto in D major? Yes, replied Alexi. While we set up our music, Alexi opened his knapsack and took out an old flute case. The flute inside looked very much like its owner, thoroughly battered. Alexi carefully put the flute together, blew a short note, walked on stage and took a spot close to the maestro. The maestro took up his baton and, on the downbeat, our lives changed. I didn't know what we were expecting. Yes, of course I did. We all knew what to expect. We'd seen it all day. Fervent musicians trying their best. We half-heartedly playing two or three minutes of the music and coasting through the rest until, mercifully, the maestro called the addition to a halt, thanked the player, and dismissed them. Alexi was different. From the very first notes, through the credenza and on through the end, the notes soared from the flute of this, this person. Who was he? He played with the skill of Jean-Pierre Rampal and the flamboyance of James Galway. His notes, pure and true, flowed from his soul, or so it seemed, out through his flute and into the concert hall. And when we were done, he just stood there, eyes closed, waiting as if trying to persuade that last note not to leave. It was an amazing moment. This this unknown had just played one of Mozart's most complex flute pieces and played it as well as any other flute player I had ever heard. We stared at him and each other in stunned silence. Finally, it was the maestro who broke that silence. That was quite remarkable, Alexei, he said, visibly shaken. What else would you like to play for us today? I brought a trumpet. Uh, we could maybe do, with your permission, the second Brandenburg, Alexei. The stage manager scrambled to get the music, and we were anxious to see if this miracle could happen again. Alexei went to his knapsack, packed up the flute with a reverence almost unheard of with professionals, removed his trumpet, and, like before, blew a short note, walked on stage, and took a spot close to the maestro. The trumpet looked in worse shape than the flute. We didn't know what to expect this time. We shouldn't have worried, though. Like the Mozart before, the Bach was true and pure without so much as a missed inflection. The notes poured from his very essence of his being, and the music filled our hall. And, as before, at the end he just stopped and stood, eyes closed. It was as if he were listening for some silent confirmation from above. The silence didn't last long this time. Almost in mass, the members of the orchestra were upon him, everyone asking questions. Where did you study? Have you played here or there? Have you played with so-and-so? But it was our principal trumpet player's questions that stopped everyone else's query. Where did you get that horn? I'm sorry, maestro, said Alexei apologetically. I have only money to buy such things at pawn shops or other stores like that. We were stunned into silence. It was finally me that broke the quiet. Okay, I said, with long practice sarcasm. Now that all you one-note wonders are done, let's get down to some real playing. Alexei, do you do piano? Yes, was his reply. Mr. Jameson, I called out, would you roll out the Steinway? As our head stagehand and his crew moved the huge black grand piano to position, I pondered which piece to test Alexei on. When the piano was set, I turned to Alexei and asked, 
Do you know Brahms' second piano concerto? Yes, I do, he said, nodding his head. And so it began. And when, some time later, he finished, I must admit I wasn't the only one with wet eyes. I'd been working on that Brahms piece for several months in the hopes of bringing it to performance. And now I don't think I'll ever be able to play it again. He played like a man possessed. Every note, perfect. Every phrase, perfect. This was how Brahms himself would have wanted the concerto played. And now, for me, every time I hear that concerto, it will have to be compared to Alexei's. Finally, finally, it was Yuri Plenkin, our concertmaster, who said, Master Alexei, I notice you have a violin. Would you care to join me? Yes, of course, Maestro. I would be honored, replied Alexei. Alexei went to the violin case, opened it, tuned, and then returned to his spot near the conductor. His violin was a dark, rich brown and appeared to be in just a bit better condition than the rest of his instruments. Would you play the Prokofiev Sonata number one with me, asked Plenkin. And so it began again. And just as suddenly, Plenkin stopped the music. Alexei, he said slowly, your violin, it has a very unusual sound, and the tone is quite distinctive. May I look at it for a moment? Alexei handed over his instrument. Plinkin carefully scrutinized the violin from top to bottom and side to side, and then inside. Plinkin, not a young man, sat down with such a thud, we thought he had collapsed from the long day and all the excitement. We all rushed to his side, and with a look of absolute wonderment, he told us what he already knew. Holding the violin with the care of a newborn baby, he handed it back to Alexei and whispered a single word to us. Stradivarius. Where had this man acquired a Stradivarius? The last one I know of was auctioned off in 1996 for almost $4 million. Mystery upon mystery. If you've never heard about the fantastic instruments made by Antonio Stradivari, let's just say they're the holy grail for violin players. It was finally Plunkin who shushed us down and quietly asked, Alexei, would you play the Dance of the Witches by Paganini? Of course, Maestro replied Alexei. It was the most incredible performance I've ever witnessed in my life. Alexei played as if he were playing for the heavenly host himself. We all did. And when it was done, we all sat there stunned, changed. We were physically, emotionally, and musically exhausted. Finally, it was conductor mopping his brow that spoke what we all felt. Alexei, we must have you in our orchestra. Whatever price you want, you, you name it, I'm sure that something can be worked out. Can you return tomorrow to speak with our business manager? I will do what I can do, said Alexei as he packed up his violin. To the echoes of so long and see you tomorrow's, Alexei left the concert hall and walked into the night and out of our lives. We never saw Alexei again. The stage manager called the number on Alexei's audition card the next morning. It was the downtown YMCA, and they had never heard of anyone named Alexei, nor did they know of anyone matching his description. I've often wondered who this incredible musician really was. 
I even went so far as to mention this episode to a few of my colleagues. To my surprise, our orchestra was not the only one that Alexi had visited. My friend in Munich related a similar story, except his musician was named Gunther. Same physical description, but he carried a clarinet and a trombone and a strad. In Paris, he actually sat in with the bassoons in the Symphonique du Paris. There, he was known as Henri Le Monde. In Cleveland, he played percussion and was simply known as Bob Smith. To date, he's auditioned or sat in most of the best orchestras and symphonies in the world. And that's all. No real identity, no contract, just the most extraordinary musician I've ever witnessed in my life. A musician who played for the sheer joy of playing, not for money, not for accolades, not for recognition. And perhaps that's all we need to know. Fellow writers, have you got a brilliant short story collecting digital dust in the depths of your laptop? Well, we want you to pull them out and get them the readership and the listenership that they deserve. Here at Pocket Fiction, we accept short stories of any genre between a minimum of 100 and 5,000 words. So if it's engaging, thought-provoking and entertaining, can be read in under 20 minutes, we want to hear from you. So you can check out the submission guidelines on www.pocketfiction.co.uk. We look forward to reading them.